I think the number one piece of advice would be to play. So what do I mean by play? Um, uh, if you're creating dashboards, so there are 11 components now on dashboards. There are two additional ones that Unlimited Edition have. Try them all out. You know, try out, just try and see what it looks like. Welcome to RevOps Rockstars in pursuit of unicorns. I'm David Carnes. And I'm Jaren Chu. Join us as we interview RevOps leaders to explore the challenges they have faced, the biggest lessons they've learned, and what they think makes a RevOps rockstar. This show is brought to you by OpFocus on a mission to help companies run their businesses better by letting you focus on growth while we scale your operations. Let's get this show on the road. Today on the podcast, we have a very, very special guest. It's a person who's a 3x Salesforce MVP, author of the newly released Mastering Salesforce Reports and Dashboards, host of a Dashboard Dojo, which is a bi-weekly series of these reporting deep dives, the leader of the Boston Salesforce Admin Group, founder and chairman of OpFocus, and the co-host of this very podcast, David Cards. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you, Jaren. It's great to be on the other side of the microphone. <laughs> this is a unique experience, I think, for our listeners as well, and very special considering this is now our 30th episode on the show. Amazing. I think what I'd love to focus on today, and for all the listeners that have been following us for the last number of episodes is to really actually learn more about the book you just wrote. Uh, you're on this worldwide book tour, speaking to all these user groups around the world, and certainly share with the audience the very cool background that you've built and developed over the years in the Salesforce community and beyond. And with that, I would love to jump in right away and ask you, first of all, around your 3x Salesforce MVP experience. Because of this role and because of your passion in the Salesforce space for RevOps, for Salesforce reporting, you spend quite a bit of time speaking around the world to different user groups, uh, different admin groups, even at Dreamforce. I know you've done that a few times. What are some of those questions that you're getting asked the most these days when you're speaking around the world and that gets the audience most excited? You know, I suppose they come in a couple of different categories, Jaron. Uh, you know, one is around career development and people trying to navigate their careers. Another is probably more specific to what I talk about a lot is around reporting and whether it's specific things like writing formulas or trending or maybe broader things around what kind of metrics should I be developing? Um, the, the, the Salesforce community is very, very special. As you know, the Ohana is real all around the world and it's just been so great to be greeted so warmly and to see this community in action, you know, at so many events and user groups uh, around the world. I have the benefit of sometimes jumping on calls with you, David, and you're calling in from cool location A and exotic location B. Can you share with the audience how many countries you've now traveled as part of your speaking tours and uh, what countries did you enjoy speaking at the most? You know, they, they've all been great and special. I've spoken at a number of Dreaming events. These are community-led, volunteer-driven uh, events within the Salesforce community, and they're all so special. If you haven't attended a Dreaming event, they tend to be very affordable and just great content from speakers uh, that are just bringing, sharing their passions with the technology. 
Uh, I've been fortunate to speak uh, over in the UK, in France, in Canada, in Australia, um, uh, Czech Republic, Morocco, sort of on and on, just really cool locations in person. Uh, but what's also been very special is having the opportunity to speak to groups virtually. And especially with the pandemic, a number of groups, uh, it's just a preferred, preferred way of getting together. Uh, that's given me opportunities to speak to groups in Ireland and to uh, speak to um, Pakistan Dreaming and uh, speak to groups in New Zealand and the Philippines and um, in South America and, and so on. So really, really lucky that the, uh, the community is just continues to grow. I think we have over a thousand user groups around the world now. Is there a country that you have yet to speak at that you would love for an opportunity, if one of our listeners happens to be from there, that you would love for an opportunity to be able to go and share your Salesforce knowledge there? Do you know, it's been a little too long since uh, we were last in Iceland, Jaren. So I, I think uh, that would be kind of cool. It's so close to Boston. It's closer than California. Uh, I think there are certainly other uh, locations uh, you know, across Europe or, or in Asia that would be really fun to, to, to go uh uh, be in person and, and speak to a group there. All right. Well, RevOps Rockstars, you heard David himself. If you know of folks in Reykjavik or in Iceland who is in that Salesforce community, we'd love to share some of David's latest and greatest there. OpFocus is increasingly known as a SaaS RevOps hub. Um, you know, there's roundtables, there's, you know, podcasts like this. There's obviously a lot of content that uh, you've worked to put out. Where did that idea of shaping up focus to become that SaaS RevOps hub come from? You know, I think it's multi-pronged. We saw an opportunity within the market, within the, the SaaS community specifically that we support uh, to help uh, define and shape uh, companies' RevOps experiences and RevOps departments. So I think we've seen companies sort of relabel sales ops into rev ops and sort of get started that way, but rev ops is and can be so much more. So we we saw the need within the marketplace. I think within OpFocus culture, so uh, excellence through education has always been important for us, and a great way to learn something is to prepare and teach it. And also another great way. Uh, within this community because there aren't really places to go learn RevOps. Uh, nobody's coming out of school with a degree in RevOps yet. Hopefully that happens. But um, uh, so, you know, we've been, uh, as you know, through through the pandemic, getting groups together to host roundtables. Uh, we've had dinners. We uh, have started up the podcast and had a number of other uh, types of events and activities around uh, becoming a RevOps hub and just really trying to support the community that we serve. I love the idea that as part of building excellence in ourselves, teaching is a part of it, being able to share about it, talk about it, that actually helps elevate our own skill set while making everyone else in the community benefit from that learning process as well. As part of the the RevOps Hub here at OpFocus, you personally host a number of monthly gatherings with this curated group of RevOps execs, Salesforce architects. I know there's lots of other groups that uh, are budding. What are the types of topics you're hearing about the most these days, especially with the economic uncertainty? Is there anything that's particularly top of mind for the folks who are attending your roundtables? 
you know, uh, because we've had groups uh, meeting on different levels, I'd, I'd say that the answer can be quite different depending on the group. So within the, the VP of RevOps group that I've hosted now for a couple of years, I guess we're in our fourth year, um, which is a long time, uh, uh, but been amazing. Uh, tech stack planning, <clears throat> org merge planning, uh, trying to sort out uh, CPQ use. Uh, those are big topics, as well as uh, things like team building. And also, people are curious what's next. Because RevOps has emerged so recently as a career path, people are thinking about what's next. And that's been fascinating, as you've seen, you know, as you know, on this podcast, we've asked so many what they're thinking about uh, for, for next. So at the VP level, that's been amazing, that, that, those set of topics. I think as we go to some of the other groups, um, it might become a bit more system specific, just a little bit more uh, tactical. Somebody has a challenge with this particular integration, or they're trying to sort out territory management or forecasting, wh whatever it is. Um, within the architect group, what's fascinating is everyone's trying to elevate their game around getting organized. These tech stacks, as you know, have become so complex. The development environments have become so complex that that you know architects are really trying to be the force behind um, improving just the development environment and the development processes so that they're not shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, so it's been uh, just an amazing set of topics uh, across these last number of years. And, and it's uh, so special to be part of all of this career growth uh, that's going on as people try to figure out uh, what can be a lonely role. So RevOps uh, can be a lonely role in some organizations and RevOps leaders can be a bit lonely they're running so ragged all the time that uh, it's nice to be able to get folks together for dinner or to, to host a roundtable for people to share their ideas uh, and experiences with each other. Yeah, you mentioned earlier that most people we know in RevOps certainly have not gone to school for RevOps. And what's incredible witnessing uh, in even my own uh, roundtables with the RevOps women leaders is how much we are absolutely at that cutting edge, how much we are trying to share best practices while experimenting with the latest and greatest that's in the marketplace right now. And that really only happens with actual practitioners doing it every single day. It's really hard, I think, for there to be curriculum to teach. And I think part of why this podcast has uh, gotten the following an audience it has over the last number of years. You're currently on this multi-month book tour. Uh, your your book came out, was it a month ago or two months ago now? You know, it's only been out for a few weeks in the, the printed copy. But yes, Amazon had it listed probably two months ago for pre-orders. And then they made the electronic orders available within days of me reviewing the final copy edits, uh, you know, because we're working directly within a a book production environment and they can just, you know, produce the final electronic copies. But uh, so yeah, it's just been a few weeks since the books come out. That is incredible. And I'm really curious to hear when you've started sharing about your book, uh, when you told them, Hey, it's about mastering Salesforce reports and dashboards, what has been most unexpected that you've heard from folks who are hearing you speak about it, or maybe who've actually opened the book and flipped through some pages already? Oh, um, you know, it's really fun uh, just from having met so many people. So I've been in the Salesforce community for 18 years, as you know, starting my 19th year, which just seems crazy. Uh, I've met a lot of people along the way. And what's been really fun is how many people have said, I can hear your friendly voice 
as I read the pages of the book. And that that's that's kind of cool because you think, you know, probably during the editing process, you know, certain ways of, you know, phrases and stuff, some of the stuff gets hammered out because the the grammar police come in and 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 clean things up. But um so that that's been uh that's been a lot of fun. I think lining up the book tour has been great. And I'm realizing that we're still in this post-COVID world. I was very excited to I've reached out to probably about 25 user groups in in different cities, said, hey, I'd love to, you know, come, you know, speak to your group, I'll bring a few copies of the book, uh, you know, and sign them and that sort of thing. Um, uh, there are a number of groups in this post-COVID world that are still meeting virtual only. And and so it just feels a little different. I'm so happy to speak to groups virtually. What I'm talking about mostly is reports and dashboards. So the subject of the book, uh, but, um, but boy, being in person is just great. So I'm off uh, today to Minneapolis to speak to the Twin Cities user group. Last week I was in Austin. I'll be in Charlotte in a couple of weeks. I'm looking forward to that. Just really fun to have, you know, all these uh, great cities to, and, and great groups to look forward to meeting. And that's such a powerful thing because you did mention earlier how uh, be that in RevOps or maybe sometimes specific Salesforce roles, it can feel very lonely, right? There's not exactly a clear curriculum for it. And being able to publish this book uh, that O'Reilly really approached you for, and I'd love to hear more about that in a minute. Um, I think that's remarkable that you can bring together community in this way, but also help document some of this knowledge that kind of lives in just tons of admins and users' heads. How did you decide to write this book on reports and dashboards? Well, it certainly didn't hurt that O'Reilly reached out to me and asked that I write a book on Salesforce Analytics. So that 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 was really special. Uh, I, in the late 90s, was doing web development. O'Reilly books were my go-to books. In the early 2000s, I did a master's in software engineering. O'Reilly books were my go-to books when writing Perl or learning XML or that sort of thing. So uh, uh, to ha- just think of them asking me to, to you know, share what I know about Salesforce was, was pretty great. I had already started the Dashboard Dojo. So we meet uh, once or twice a month. We're coming up on our third anniversary. And we have about 40 hours of recordings on all different uh Salesforce reporting topics, whether it's formulas or whether it's trending or uh, joined reports or cross filters or just all kinds of topics. So I think um, the, the the timing was very lucky having had started the Dashboard Dojo. The Dashboard Dojo really has been the research for the book. Just preparing for Dojo sessions has been my research. Um, so it, it's, um, it's really lucky when you can write a book about something you're passionate about that makes the hours go by ease, more easily. And it certainly makes the research more fun because all along the way, Salesforce has continued its steady drumbeat of three releases a year. So we've had a lot more uh, things to, to write about and things have changed and even just figuring out things that may not be documented so well yet, you know, what is actually going on and even the difference between a beta feature and when it goes uh, becomes generally available or GA, there are subtle differences that I've included in the book. So um, I was really glad about the timing. The summer 23 release was just about to drop. I had access to pre-release org, uh, pre-release orgs, and also the, the Salesforce product engineering team was so wonderful to me for some last minute screenshots for maybe unlimited edition. I didn't have access to something and, you know, they would very kindly, graciously, jump on calls to let me grab screenshots or ask a couple of questions. 
how cool it is to be able to have essentially that bat phone with the Salesforce reports and dashboards team and be able to validate, but also be aware of what's coming next and um, help prepare your readers for that. Why do you think a book like this is so important? I mean, I'm sure it was not easy every step of the way. I know you mentioned the research was part of what you were already doing for Dashboard Dojo, but I don't even know. Have you done an estimate for the number of hours it took to write this book yet? You know, it, we, uh, the, the work was across 18 months. I think O'Reilly was thinking it would be about a 15-month project. Uh, there were some months that I didn't write a lot and other months that I wrote pretty furiously. Uh, so I, I've been maybe jokingly saying a thousand hours, but I'm not, I'm not really sure. So it was a lot of time. Wow. Uh, so, but, but, I mean, but it was enjoyable time. So that's the thing. You know, it's like the research. I'd be doing the research anyway because I'm interested in the features. Um, and, you know, I think one of the fun things is sort of a fun memory. When I was approached, they said, all right, well, the next step, if you're interested, is to put together a proposal. And the proposal was essentially the chapters of the book with sub bullets for the subheadings. And Jaron, you know, that only one, there was only one major change to what I had submitted eight, you know, 18 months earlier, which was uh, the analytics tab, which hadn't been it might've been talked about, but it hadn't been released yet. It was, it was certainly a, a thing in the future in the roadmap. Uh, and then there were a few other changes like Salesforce earlier this year rolled out the, uh, the updated and improved mobile reporting experience. And it's fantastic. And so I actually had to rewrite the chapter because they made so many important changes uh, and sped things up and really just improved the experience. So I had to take out all those nasty things I said about mobile reporting and replace them with Adulation. You're like it's already better. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, for for a book like this, um, m- not every company has proper BI tools. Uh, I want for all of our clients to have more sophisticated tools. So, Salesforce has CRM analytics, and they bought Tableau. There are many other real proper BI tools uh, out there. The reality is that the majority of users worldwide in the Salesforce world, all they get is reports and dashboards, and they still have to manage their day. They still have to run their teams. They still have to make decisions that drive their businesses. So I felt like, you know, even though the tools are limited, they're not as sophisticated as a BI tool. It's still important for people to know the full set of features available and to start to understand the power that comes when you combine these uh, features. I love that. I think it's the baseline of being able to take action and understand the data that we're collecting every single day when we're interacting with the system. And to your point, I think for a lot of companies, they graduate from, or maybe they elevate from the out of the box Salesforce reports and dashboards. Not everyone has uh, all these other plugins and fancy BI tools, but we still need to be able to report back and report out on um, how the team is doing. So starting here makes tons of sense. What are some of those most important takeaways from the book as kind of a teaser for the folks who maybe now are interested or about to click buy on that Amazon page? You know, um, I, w- when speaking at events and certainly in the dojo and in the book, I talk about how formulas solve problems and you really can extend your reporting reach just by understanding how formulas work and how they can help you you know, uh, calculate a ratio or change a data type or, or manipulate data in a way that you need to present it on your reports or dashboards. Um, I mentioned earlier, this idea of the combination of features is very powerful. 
as well. So realizing that uh, the the base set of features available, which we cover in the book extensively, and then you know uh, this idea that by combining some of the features, you can extend your your reach. Um, the the um, the other thing I'll say is, I included a chapter later in the book on trending, and it's such an important thing that a lot of us report writers don't really get around to. We just don't don't produce trending. But it's so meaningful to leadership teams to know where we've come and have a sense of where we're going. So there are many trending options that are available, and uh, those should be explored you know, and thought of as tools on your tool belt when, when creating reports and dashboards. I feel like in a way, um, the audience and readers of your book will probably be best served if they were to sign up for your dashboard dojos as the number of Salesforce releases continue and new features uh, keep rolling out. Yeah, everybody's welcome. So on that point, you know, Salesforce keeps innovating. Um, sometimes the speed at which those new features come out are so fast that something like a printed copy of a book can, um, you know, really quickly require an update. How do you personally stay on top of the changes to reporting? And relatedly, do you see yourself maybe doing an update to the book every once in a while? Yeah, great question. Well, if O'Reilly will have me back, uh, certainly. Uh, and you know, there is this uh, pace of innovation that we have to keep up with. And and the the reports and dashboards engineering team, they've just been great. They uh, they've been great and very great to me in a number of important ways. Sharing what they're working on, asking questions about things that might be more important or less important. So that that all's really been been great. Allowing feedback um, on the features. Um, one thing that I love to do, so next week, the pre-release orgs for uh, Salesforce, uh, the Winter 24 release are coming out. So three times a year, we have the new releases. Before the new releases come out, probably six or eight weeks before the releases come out, there are Salesforce makes pre-release orgs available. Uh, you can play in a pre-release org for a week, and it, people call it hunting for treasure, uh, you, you know, have a week before the release notes are formally uh, unveiled. And it's just fun to find stuff, uh, you know, look around and look for new things that didn't exist before. So I'm in that category of very excited. So I've got it on my calendar. Um, you know, I think it's uh, in just not, not many days from now, I'll be able to log in, set up a, a pre-release org and start to play. As part of being so enmeshed in the Salesforce uh, reports and dashboards world, do you also have this opportunity to be able to like collaborate with that Salesforce reports and dashboards team? Like, I know you get to get these sneak peeks of what's available. What is that relationship like with Salesforce? Do you know, it it began in a funny way. It was at a Dreamforce maybe 10 years ago. And I, I happened to be uh, at a presentation from someone on the reporting team and the gentleman standing next to me was the VP of reports and dashboards. Uh, so uh, we we got to chatting. I said something, you know, I think cross filters is my favorite feature. And he turned to me and he said, I wrote, I wrote the uh, patent for that, <laughs> uh, that feature. And, you know, we've been friends since, uh, but he was very gracious to say, hey, next time you're in town, let's have you meet the team. And I went in with pages of questions of like, why is this like this? And who would in their right mind would do that, you know, and some of it was, you know, might've been a little contentious, but they were very open to talk about stuff. And, you know, 
you know, very proud of what they had put together because they, you know, started from scratch years ago. I think they had some basic ideas of what reports should look like and what dashboards should look like, but they certainly have done a lot of innovations over the years. So it's been, it's been a great relationship. Uh, and I really feel lucky that they've been so supportive. I imagine that initial meeting with the team might be a bit like Charlie visiting the chocolate factory. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was very exciting. One last question on the book, and I actually want to kind of pivot us to look ahead about some future projects you might be working on. For those out there that might consider themselves reportedly challenged, what kind of advice or what kind of encouragement would you want to give to them? Oh, so um, I think the number one piece of advice would be to play. So what do I mean by play? Um uh, if you're creating dashboards, so there are 11 components now on dashboards. There are two additional ones that Unlimited Edition have. Try them all out. You know, try out, just try and see what it looks like. Uh, there's nothing stopping you from using the same report on the same dashboard, shown showing that same report using multiple components, and just pick the one that looks the best. And that's an example of playing. Uh, another example of playing would be to clone a reporter dashboard save your own copy of it and try to improve it. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, what could be better? How can we show the, the information more effectively? Um, there are a number of uh, modules on Trailhead related to reports and dashboards. There's a super badge on lightning reports and dashboards. Uh, there were some, uh, some badges on formulas and that's a nice way to, to, to get started. I think either setting up a dev org or even in uh, what might be a sandbox, uh, in, in your own product, your own uh, work environment, just trying out creating re reports. So a second piece of advice would be to really um, understand the underlying data model. So every organization will customize Salesforce, add new objects, add new fields. Those are things you can take advantage of um, in reporting. So understanding the data model and then uh, equally as important is understanding the data itself. Um, I suggest that when people create new reports to start off with no filters uh, and see, okay, we have 2 million contacts in our system. Great. And then maybe if you're going to add a bunch of filters, add them one by one, and you're learning about the database. So how many are in this industry and how many are in this geography and how many have this particular data issue? Um, but it's a, it's a nice way to build up your understanding so you know what to expect when you go ahead and create uh, reports and dashboards. Those are great tips. And I think just that encouragement at the baseline to play, to tinker around with it, to not be afraid of breaking something, right? Cloning a copy of a report that you already have and just asking that question, how could it be better? I think that those are great reminders for people who um, maybe day in, day out are presented with dashboards or reports, but hey, how do I kind of own my ability to understand even the data within the system better? And I think that data model piece you mentioned as your second tip is very powerful also. Do I even understand what that structure is when I'm trying to pull data out of the system. You're 18 plus months from having written, well, you're 18 plus months into the project. And now with the book published, it's on an Amazon listing. I feel like this might be a good opportunity to kind of do a little bit of that look back. What are some of those biggest misconceptions that you've found and realized about writing a book? And like, would you give yourself advice, you know, on day one of embarking this project uh, that's different from what you knew? 
Yeah, I think one one thing in particular. So when working with a publisher like O'Reilly, you're paired with an amazing editor. So that was just, you know, God bless the editor. That was that was amazing. Um, editing takes long as long or longer than writing does. So I'd I'd sort of go off and go into my hole and and write a chapter and then produce the chapter. And then my editor, Rita, would go uh, review the chapter and come back with feedback. Now to incorporate that feedback would take as long or even longer than writing the chapter in the first place. And it's for a whole bunch of reasons, including you're trying to process now what exactly they're saying and why are they suggesting that this paragraph be moved up here and you know, all kinds of things. And then when you start having multiple chapters, there may be recommendations to take a hunk of the book and put it in another chapter or to reorder so that this chapter is similar to that chapter in the order and th- things like that. So that, that was one um, aspect to it. Uh, you know, I think we probably all have different ways of writing. I would uh, maybe sit at the desk and not accomplish a lot and then sort of feel the pressure late in the day. And I'd, I just sort of crank through midnight until three or four in the morning and, and get another chapter done. I just felt like the need to break it into smaller chunks. And that became more evident at the very end of the book because we were going through different phases of editing and I just wanted to get all of the images reviewed and resized, or I just wanted to get through incorporating uh, suggestions. Uh, you know, there were just a number of things to break it into smaller chunks To, uh, but it was very exciting when I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. And as I kept getting closer and closer. So it sounds like um, you haven't talked yourself out of writing a book again. And if you were to have the opportunity, uh, O'Reilly, uh, to write another book, what might that be on? Do you know, it's funny. Uh, when I finished, I was, you know, humming. I, by the time I finished, I was humming and I'd figured it out. And I sort of felt like it's kind of a shame that I didn't come up with another topic. <laughs> I could have just kind of kept the motor, kept the motor running. I think um, there's so much going on with Salesforce's emerging AI capabilities. And I think there's... Uh, you know, stuff we've had for a number of years, some of the predictive stuff with Einstein. And then there's this whole new uh, generative world that Salesforce is stepping into and then weaving those into the existing clouds that there, I think there's a lot there. I think it would be even more at risk of by the time you finish the project, you really couldn't, it couldn't be an 18 month project because so much would change during those 18 months. Um, but uh I, yeah, somewhere something in in that realm, I think would be a lot of fun to research and and write. Yeah, and then and go, go on another book tour. Another <laughs> book tour on AI. I mean, the the number of folks uh, who I I promise we do not seek these answers, but the number of folks who on the podcast when we ask, "Hey, what do you think is the next big disruption? What do you think is going to fundamentally change RevOps?" I mean folks are saying gen AI left, right, and center, right? And I'm like, I promise I did not tell them to say this. So um, I can definitely see how Salesforce's emerging AI capabilities would be an area that a lot of folks are very curious about, especially to be able to separate kind of the PR and the hype from the actual capabilities of, of that platform and tool. We've been talking quite a bit about your work, um, obviously the book itself, the speaking you've been doing around the world, I feel like for a lot of our listeners, um, they'd actually be very, very interested to learn more about your personal path and journey that's led you to now being the author of a book, but certainly also uh, the chairman of of Op Focus, uh, Salesforce MVP, all of these things, very, very cool roles. 
you mentioned earlier, you know, this is, uh, we're, we're talking about 18 some years in the Salesforce ecosystem now. How did you first come across Salesforce and how on earth did you decide to build a business around it back then? Oh, yeah. Great question. I, I had worked for three software companies early in my career, and I was lucky to be given a lot of latitude to just figure things out. So the third so software company I was at was an early marketing automation uh, vendor called MarketSoft. I was the corporate apps manager by day, and I worked on ops at night because I loved it. And I was, you know, at the time, battling with client server-based systems that I was man managing upgrades are such a pain dealing with, you know, security issues, hacker attempts, um, uh, hardware failures. There were just so many issues that were such a big waste of time that, you know, we had a couple of, of tools and Salesforce wasn't the only one at the time, but Salesforce was doing some things in a very special way, I thought. But this whole idea of the SaaS model that somebody else can deal with the upgrades and the hacker attempts, you know, security certifications, all that stuff. And just keep keep innovating so that we had more tools in the toolbox. When I first touched Salesforce, it was pretty simple. There wasn't a lot we could do. We really had to be really creative to extend it. Uh, but there was a sense that there was a platform here that they were going to. And, and the App Exchange didn't exist. Apex didn't exist. Visual Force didn't exist. It was you know it was. But it was just a sense that more more was coming. Uh, so it was, you know, very lucky to uh, get started. And what I thought it would allow me to do, and so we've had the name Op Focus for 17 years, and now in our 18th year, um, I thought it would allow us to help companies optimize their business operations, and and that has proven true as well. So I was very lucky with those two hunches. Wow, those are some bold bets. And um, like you said, you know, we're now very, very deep into Salesforce having these multi-cloud capabilities. Um, obviously, the the industry that um, the company has chosen to focus on, which is primarily SaaS, has been very fast developing. RevOps or even BizOps, like you described um, in that original slogan for OpFocus, continues to be very quickly developing. You know, two decades in, well, almost two decades in, what continues to keep you excited and engaged about Salesforce or SaaS or RevOps and BizOps? Because they're, I mean, you've been in it for a long time. Yes. And while I do like the idea of fly fishing more, um, you know, each of these areas, so Salesforce, SaaS, and RevOps are evolving, changing, and th that's thrilling, exciting. There are opportunities within that. I think a lot of it for me has been around the people. So I was lucky to, to be part of a dinner in Boston, hosting a dinner the other night. Um, and there are people that I've known for over 10 years uh, in this community. It's been amazing to watch their rise up through the different ranks, uh, up to senior leadership, leading RevOps teams or, or systems uh, teams to have been part of their journey and now to have the opportunity to be part of their team's uh, journeys. Uh, so all of that is very, very energizing. So as a wow. longtime trainer in the community, it's really cool when people that I had trained a long time ago trust me to train their teams on, on the technology. I remember early on uh, when I had joined OpFocus, and this is close to a decade ago also, um, you had mentioned, you know, what we do here is to help people look like rock stars. And, you know, going back to your point about people being the most rewarding part of the journey 
to be able to see their development and growth because of the work that, um, you know, you and the team have helped enabled is very, very impressive and exciting. Well, thank you. So outside of, you know, running this podcast, leading the RevOps hub, creating community, you know, hosting dinners and doing the dashboard dojo and, oh, by the way, uh, wrote a book. What do you actually, do you have free time left and what do you end up doing in your free time? Well, I have a lot of free time because of the great team at OpFocus, uh, you know, s- stepping up and, and taking on the reins and run- running the business. So thank you to everyone that's doing that. Um, I uh, try to cook every day. I've, I've got a whole stack of uh, vegan cookbooks behind me. And so that's been a lot of fun. I have access to a lot of great, uh, you know, vegetable vendors and mushrooms and, uh, you know, all kinds of legumes and things like that. And it's been fun to just keep learning so that I'll do the rest of my life. Uh, I started fly fishing with my son maybe six years ago. That's been great. It's allowed me to explore a lot of different parts of Massachusetts, Vermont, um, uh, and get to know the area. And then more recently, I've started to take my truck into the backwoods. I hired an overlanding guide the other week up in Vermont, and it was so much fun. We spent nine hours driving in the deep woods, and it's it's as much fun to get stuck and figure out how to get unstuck uh, as it is to you know sh- you know show up at a at a mountaintop overlook. Uh, but you know we crossed uh, the Appalachian Trail and just you know thought, oh, I bet we could sit here all day and not see any hikers. And within a minute, hikers came from both directions on the trail, and it was just really just great, great to be out. Um, so uh, I think you know also the opportunity to speak at so many events like Dreamforce coming up, just being given the opportunity to speak again and and um, uh, just enjoy that fellowship with others who are learning the platform. I'm starting to form this image of you, David, where you are uh, overlanding in your truck, you're finding beautiful rivers to go fly fishing, you're cooking every day, and meanwhile, traveling to Salesforce user groups and admin groups around the world. New Zealand would be great for fly fishing. Iceland would be great for fly fishing and and for overlanding Australia. All right. So we're going to need to have uh, some of our listeners make some introductions to folks in New Zealand and Iceland. And um, let's make that happen for David. We're coming towards the end of our time here. How can people find out more about the book? And of course, follow you and the many postings you do about reports and dashboards. Sure. I'm, I'm posting a lot on both LinkedIn and Twitter. So my Twitter handle is just David P. Carnes and the number three similar on, on LinkedIn, but I, I post regularly being part of the Boston Salesforce admin group has me posting and then dashboard Jojo has me posting. And I'll usually list when I have an upcoming speaking date uh, as well. And I'm guessing people can just go on Amazon to look for your book, Mastering Salesforce Reports and Dashboards. Yes. So both on Amazon and on the O'Reilly uh, website, uh, Amazon may be easiest for people to, to find uh, find the book and if they want, order it or write a review. We'd love those reviews. Dashboard Dojo, you mentioned you host these once or twice a month. Um, how do people sign up for that? How do people tune in? Um, what is the format of these Dashboard Dojo sessions and is it interactive? Do people um, bring their questions? How does that work? Yeah, so great question. So just dashboarddojo.com. 
uh, D-O-J-O, so dashboard, D-O-J-O, all, all together.com. Uh, on the site, we have over 40 hours of recordings from the episodes we've done over the last three years. We just pick a topic and run with it. And so I'll usually have topics listed a few out. So the next two topics are in September, the next two sessions. Uh, the first one will be on Einstein activity capture and reporting on the, on the activity object, which has always been a pain for people. Uh, the second one will be on the winter 24 release. Uh, so what's coming for reports and dashboards. So those two are in September, but we've also got that recordings tab. People can, can look back. Um, the sessions usually about 50 to 60 minutes long. Uh, people can ask questions. We do use a webinar and it allows us to have polls and, and control. So we have people on mute, but people can raise their hand and come off mute and we can talk, talk things through. It's really that interaction that's been so special uh, all these years in the dojo. Very special. And you had referenced earlier that um, you've got some speaking opportunities come up, coming up. Uh, you mentioned Dreamforce, you mentioned some user groups. Where can people find out and tune into or maybe even meet you in person um, and get their copy of Mastering Salesforce Reports and Dashboards signed? Oh, that's great. Yeah, thank you. So uh, I will be at Dreamforce. I'll do four um, circles of success on sales reporting. So there's four opportunities at Dreamforce. Uh, I also on LinkedIn, I've been posting my upcoming uh, book tour dates. So I mentioned I'm off to Minneapolis today. I'll be in Charlotte at the end of August. I'll be speaking in uh, Toronto. I'll be speaking in London, um, uh, Dallas. Chicago. So a number of real nice opportunities. I think Den Denver's on the list as well. Jacksonville just reached out. So it's been a lot of fun, but I think LinkedIn is probably the best place uh, because I'll post what's what's coming. Great. Awesome. Well, for our listeners and audience who are interested in meeting David in person, getting that book signed, I think following David on LinkedIn um, will help you make sure that you'll know when he's coming to a town near you. Well, David, uh, I didn't realize we would have this opportunity, but I'm so glad to have been able to spend uh, the last um, number of minutes here chatting more in depth, not only about the passion you have for Salesforce reports and dashboards, but also getting to learn about your, your journey along the way. I think a lot of people look up to Salesforce MVPs and they're like, wow, like how did you get there? Um, so I appreciate you sharing a little bit about how you were able to see that promise in Salesforce as a platform all those years ago, and then the ways you've been able to slowly contribute and share, give back to the community to get to this place where you now have a book. You're, you're obviously recognized by Salesforce, valued by Salesforce. My takeaways from the conversation thus far today, um, you, your encouragement to play an experiment uh, with reports and dashboards, it's not intimidating. Uh, you're not going to break anything if you clone it. Um, that is awesome. I think the other thing I'm hearing a lot about is, you know, joining and being part of communities to be able to share the latest and greatest to also realize that not everyone knows. And there's also not a right answer because we're very much at that innovating, um, cutting edge. And then, you know, the final thing I heard, particularly in the way you described how you wrote the book is to recognize that that speed of innovation is happening at such a clip that working in smaller chunks, being able to get feedback early and sooner is a nice way to kind of um, keep the momentum going without kind of, I think you described it, going into your cave and um, coming out with a big chunk of work. So David, I'm so grateful to finally be able to turn the mic on you 
and get to know your journey and process a bit more. Um, and certainly for you to share your experience with our audience today. Thank you, Jaren. It's really been a lot of fun to, uh, to have the conversation today. Wonderful. And um, certainly really want to give thanks to our audience that's followed us for the last 30 some episodes. Um, this has been very, very special for us to do this one uh, for my co-host here. And if you haven't already, please, of course, go on by David's book, but you can also um, follow, subscribe, do whatever you need to do on any of those podcasting platforms and um, stay up to date on the latest of RevOps. And this has been another exciting episode of RevOps Rockstars. See you next time. Stay classy, Rockstars. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much for joining us. For show notes and other episodes, visit RevOpsRockstars.com. RevOps Rockstars is sponsored by OptFocus. Visit OptFocus.com to learn more about how OptFocus helps SaaS companies scale their revenue operations. 